deserves all the honor and all the glory. Amen. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's so funny. Every time I open my Bible, I still have the trinkets in here from uh, Sister Pathra's devotional. And I get so excited. <laughs> I've got some extra cash. And I remember. Praise the Lord. Why don't you walk around and greet one another? Amen. Want to make your way back to your seats? There should be a, a handout coming around. You can be seated for a second. are going around. I have been um, <clears throat> really diving uh, a lot lately into um, understanding who we are as apostolics and um, the importance of that and the importance of walking in that. And so as a result, I started just kind of meandering around and looking at different parts of Scripture 
And um, I really have come to the conclusion that we need to understand our identity if we're going to have purpose, if we're going to walk in destiny, if we're going to impact the outside world, if we don't know who we are and what we're about, it's going to be hard for us to have that kind of impact. And so I want to talk to you tonight. I'm not going to talk long. I think it's going to be a little bit of treaching. Um, but I want to come to you from this topic, uh, who am I? Who am I? And there are handouts still going around. Thank you, Brother Rico. That's pretty cool. I like that. Thank you. So, now that you're well rested, please stand and turn to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 17. <clears throat> I'm going to read only four verses, maybe five, verses 16 through 20. And it says, And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come and hast regarded me according the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant, O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to read it from the NLT. It's a little bit shorter, but I want to read it again. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O Lord God. What more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. O Lord, there is none like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Amen. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity tonight, God. I pray that your word go forth. God, that I would step out of the way, God, and that your voice would be heard, God. And I pray that you would be magnified and you would be glorified because it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. So I give you all the honor and the glory, and I ask that you bless those in the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So to give you a little bit of context to what we just read, because that's what I love doing, um, David wants to build a, God a house. And as he sits in his palace and he begins to think, he says, you know, we've had this tabernacle for centuries. And it's worked pretty well, but I want to do something. 
I want to do something so much better than just have this mobile tent as a place for God to dwell in, for God's glory to dwell in. And something stirs within David. And as he went to the Lord and asked him if he could build him this house, this grand and glorious temple, this would be the crowning jewel of all Israel. And speaking through the prophet Nathan, God says to David that he isn't the man to build God's house. God wouldn't allow it because he had blood on his hands. And God told David that even though he couldn't build it, his son would. Then God made an incredible promise to David. He said, since you have desired to build me a house, I, God speaking, will build your house, and your son's throne will be established forever. Here was a prophecy that the lineage of David would forever sit upon David's throne. And of course, we know that Jesus ultimately fulfilled that, that particular prophecy. And so it's here in verse 16 that we pick up the conversation between God and David. And David goes to the tabernacle, and he shuts himself away with God. And he's so humbled and moved by God's response that his lineage would rule forever and that it brings this new question to his heart, and it burns in his heart. And as he sits in the presence of the Lord in absolute humility, he asks God, who am I? Who am I? Think about what God just promised David, that the lineage of David would be forever, that the throne of Israel would be a part of David's lineage forever. And David is so moved by the grace of God in his life that he cries out from the depth of his soul, who am I and what is my house that the God of all glory, that the ancient of days would even care what happens to my children's children? David asked the question we all ask, and we all ask it at some point in our life on your worksheet, who Am I? For David, as he's looking at his life, talking to the Lord, saying, I was just a shepherd. I was the baby of the family. I was just a freckle-faced kid. I was never anything special. But you, God, sought me out. You, God, called me by name. You, Lord God, singled me out from all my father's household. It was by your command that the anointing oil was poured over my head. You, Lord God, have made me a ruler over all your people. The revelation is beginning to unfold in his spirit. As it goes on, he says, this is something that I didn't work out on my own. It was your hand, God. You established my throne. You established my house. And when the world speaks of its mightiest men, my name, the name of a lowly shepherd boy from Israel, will always be in that discussion. It was you, Lord God. You've done all this. You have established my ways. I'm living your tremendous blessing. You've done all this for me. What David is saying is quite simply, I'm the least of the least. I'm nothing. 
But you, O God, have highly exalted me. You have dealt with me in ways that I didn't deserve. You have showered me with your kindness. You have overshadowed me with your goodness. Your mercy has pursued me every day of my life, and I'm living in the middle of everlasting peace and grace. The favor of God so moved the heart of David that he sits in the house of God and lets that question flow from the depths of his soul. Who am I? Who am I that you would show me favor to my household for generations to come? Who am I that you would establish my throne forever? Who am I? And I believe that at every point in our journey and in our walk, it's that question that demands an answer. Why is the answer so important? Because the answer to that question on your worksheet the answer to that question is where true power and authority comes from. When we understand who we are, then we understand what kind of power and authority we have. Knowing our God-given or our kingdom identity puts us on a true trajectory to purpose and destiny. Not knowing that answer, if we don't know that, it's like the road signs are all pulled away and we're just wandering down roads. We're just wandering aimlessly. We're not walking in purpose. We're not walking in destiny. We might think we are, but we aren't. If we don't really know our kingdom identity, we're not walking in purpose and destiny. Destiny. So many people will grab so many things out there and think, this is it. This is where I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to do this. This is going to make me feel whole. But then find out later, nope, not at all. I remember watching, uh, this was years ago, um, an interview from Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters was interviewing Madonna. And Madonna was at the height of her career. I mean, she was the bomb. And Barbara Walters asked her and said, so have you arrived? Have you made it? And she said, you know, I've been at the top of the hit chart year after year after year. My style, my dress style has become a fashion thing in the 80s, I think it was. You know, everybody wanted to dress like Madonna. I mean, she was in movies. She's dated all these people. She has millions and millions. She, I think she said she was living in a $70 million home and she had 12 cars. And she kept going on and on and on. And she got right to the end of that interview. And I'll never forget this. She said, but you know what, Barbara? I feel empty. And I just went, what? what? I feel empty. I thought I had it all. But there's something missing inside that I, I can't explain it. I can explain it. But how true is that? We can chase all kinds of things. This is me. This is me. This is me. But it's really this that defines who we are. 
This is the thing that brings us fulfillment. This is the thing that brings us purpose. I'll never forget that interview. I think about Saul, later known as Paul. Acts 22 and 3 identifies who Saul was. He said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamil, taught according to the strictness of the Father's laws, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Saul thought he had it all figured out. He thought he had it. Saul was the man who was climbing the Roman corporate ladder. But Saul was doing it all on his own power. Saul was a rising star until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Imagine the confusion that he felt. He kept thinking he was doing all of this for God. This was God's plan. This was... But it was all about Saul. It was all about Saul. The passion that he had was driven by the hatred he had for Christians and his ambition for personal notoriety. But all of that gets turned upside down. And when Saul gets the revelation of kingdom identity, he changes his name to Paul, and he began to walk in kingdom purpose. And just like David, Paul came to the realization that it's all about God and it's not about him. He says in Romans 15, 18 and 19, Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Paul figured it out. So much so that he became the greatest church planter, the greatest missionary of that time. And he would write 13 of 27 books in the New Testament. And he would die proclaiming his kingdom identity in 64 AD. Sooner or later, we have to ask that question because the answer determines how we live our life. I'm going to say it again. We have to ask the question, who am I? Because the answer determines how we live our life. Kingdom identity. We can stand up and say we've repented of our sins. We've been baptized by going under the waters in Jesus' name. Total submersion. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. That's good. That's, we want to do that, but that's not where it ends. That's not, yes, we can call ourselves Pentecostal. We can say we're, we've participated in the apostolic doctrine, but there's so much more than that when you take on that identity. It's how you walk. It's how you pray. It's how you worship. It's how you give. It's how you fellowship. It's how you get involved. It's all that. That's all part of, of the identity. It doesn't just stop right there on your worksheet kingdom identity defines who we belong to and that is the key 
The revelation that David got in the 17th chapter of Chronicles was a pivotal moment in his life. David sits in the presence of God, and he finally and forever puts the issue of his identity to rest. He finally realizes, I didn't do this. I didn't get here on my own. I didn't set this in motion. I didn't bring this to pass. And furthermore, I didn't declare the future. It was you, God. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the Almighty One. It was you who did it. It was your hand upon me from the first day you called me. You're the one who arranged the meeting with Goliath. He set it up. It was your hand that preserved me in those warring years. And it was you, O oh God, who brought me to this throne. And it will be you, O oh God, that will establish this throne forever. David left the presence of God that day with a newfound confidence. The issue was settled in his heart. Israel was in his kingdom. It was God's. Woo! It wasn't his throne. It was God's. The answer to David's question was simple yet profound. Who am I? David asked. The answer resounded in his heart. I am God's man. I am God's man. I didn't do it. I didn't cause it. None of the good of my life came from me. It all flows from God. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, he would say, or do you not know that your body, right, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. David said, who am I? And the answer came, I am God's man. I am his, for his glory. David was empowered. And as a result of that revelation, David realized something powerful. The same thing that we have to realize on your worksheet. Who am I? I am his. I am his. And that, my friends, is kingdom identity. I am his. Identity is a game changer. When the enemy attacks you, remember who you belong to. And as soon as you remember that, then remind the enemy, Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Just remind the enemy of that. Isaiah 41, 10 through 11 says, Fear thou not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incest against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. When we embrace who we belong to and understand that our identity is in him and in his kingdom, then we can reclaim everything that the enemy has taken from us. Right? The ground that she's taken, we take back. 
Because when we understand kingdom identity, then we truly operate in power and authority, and our words are powerful, especially when we're clothed in Scripture. Every place you place your foot, right, I give to you. Every one of you, that applies to every single one of you. But the enemy knows how dangerous you are if you understand and embrace your identity. He gets that. He's been trying to steal our identity as far back as Adam and Eve. He tricked Eve by demeaning her current position and convincing her that God was keeping some better knowledge from her. By causing her to believe that God had somehow relegated her to the status of this second-class citizen. He robbed her of the power and authority that God had given her. He stole her identity And he has done that over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. One place in particular that I I thought was interesting, I was studying this week, was the story of Balak and Balaam. We kind of know that story because of the uh, talking donkey. It's kind of how we always remember that. Um, but in this story, uh, the Israelites were on the cusp of moving into Canaan, into the promised land. They were on the east side of the Jordan River, and they were just getting ready to cross. And there was like two million of them. And they had skirmished with a couple different smaller countries, and now they sat on the borders of Moab, And King Balak, who was the king of Moab, was extremely nervous. That's a lot of people to be sitting on his border. And he was afraid that they might make a move on him. So Balak decides to reach out to an old friend of his in northern Mesopotamia, Balaam. And Balaam is kind of a spiritualist, kind of a sorcerer, kind of a false prophet. Kind of goes with whatever God is popular at the time. And Mesopotamia was certainly very well aware of the one God, the Jehovah, because Abraham's descendants, there were still some of Abraham's descendants up there. So Balak gets a hold of Balaam and says, I need you to come here and curse the Israelite army so that we can defeat them. I need you to come and curse them. And so Balaam sends word and says, okay, um, let me talk to God about this. And it's interesting, God says that he cannot curse what he has already blessed. That's part of the covenant that he made with Abraham. I can't curse what I've already blessed. And this goes on uh, for three times. And Balaam is unsuccessful, and the talkie donkey's in there somewhere. So, um, but this goes on, and Balaam just cannot curse these people. And it's interesting. I wonder if I wrote this down. Numbers 23 and 9. It says, For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him, there a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. The interesting part about this particular scripture is, is that 
um, at the end there where it has, just leave it up there, Joan. It says nations. That's the Hebrew word goyim. And that's how Israel was always considered. It was just another nation. That's all it was, another nation amongst a whole bunch of nations. But it's here that God says a people. And that is the word amim in Hebrew. And that word means it's, it's very, there are a lot of different words for people. This one is a very intimate word. It's a very personal word. It's a, a very special word. And so what God is saying here, and this is the first time this is seen in the Old Testament. God is saying, I have a very special, personal, separated people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself amongst the other nations. This is the first time that, he, that God is saying, this is a separated people. These are people that are, right? We talk about that in the New Testament, right? That we are separated. We're separated from the world. I, I think I have scripture up here for it. <clears throat> but they're separated. And so Balaam can't do anything. He can't get this curse on them. But here's the interesting part about this. The rest of the story is contained in Revelation 2 and 14. God's people are personal. They're separated. They're special. That's their identity. But in Revelation 2 and 14, it explains what happens after none of this works with Balaam. The rest of the story where the word reveals to us that Balaam figured out how to curse the people of God, and he shared that knowledge with Balak. How did he curse them? He taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. He enticed them to eat sacrifices that were given to idols and to mix themselves with the Moabite women. When Balak robbed the children of Israel of their identity by robbing them of their separation. You still with me? By robbing them of their separation, he opened the door for God to curse the Israelites with a horrible plague. And I want to tell you tonight that hell would like nothing more than to rob you of your identity by enticing you to become so entangled with this world that you no longer hold a standard of separation. The enemy works so hard on that with us. Why do you look like that? Well, there's a reason. There's Bible for it. But this world will tell you otherwise. But that is one way. Just, that's just separation, that the enemy will try to steal your identity. That's why it's so important to stay in your word, to know your word, to meditate on your word, to always be in it. I can't stress that enough. I won't. I'll leave it alone. Oh, here it is. Scripture says, come out among them, saith the Lord, and be separate. He has called us out of the world of darkness and into his marvelous light. There is power in your identity, but when you are robbed of your on your worksheet, separation, you are robbed of your identity. Satan's a liar. He's the father of all lies. He will accuse, condemn, slander, and destroy you if he can. He doesn't want you to operate 
He does not want you to operate in the power and authority that is within you. Because he knows he can't win. He will do whatever he can to rob you of your identity. Think about Moses. Moses faced the same identity issue, right? When he stood at the burning bush and God said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Moses said, uh, I don't think so. No. Who am I? Who am I to go do that? I'm a stutterer. I'm a wanted man. I've got all kinds of limitations. Send someone else. Who am I, God? I'm a murderer. I'm a fugitive. I'm a nobody. I'm a has-been. Go find somebody else. And then God has him throw down his staff. And Moses watches it turn into a snake. And then he picked it up again and watched it turn back into a staff. And you know what God was saying? He was saying, this ain't about you, son. On your worksheet, it's about what I want to do through you. That's so important. God is saying, I've called you, I have fashioned you, I have prepared you for this moment, and the only thing that matters is that you belong to me. And when Moses got the revelation of his identity, it's not about you, Moses. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to do it through you. All of a sudden, Moses is sitting there in front of Pharaoh and all his little court of jesters, and he's saying very boldly, let my people go. That's not the same guy that was up at the burning bush. But he understood identity. Knowing your identity is knowing whose you are. Whose you are. If, um, I'm going to tell you how this works. I probably used this example before. Who am I going to pick on? Everybody's looking down at their papers right now. <coughs> All right, Aaron. So, you don't have to get up. So, Bishop comes in, and he's not feeling well at all. And he doesn't look very good. And he's been kind of under the weather, and he sits down. But he also looks just really down in the dumps. He's kind of looking down. And you pick up on it. You've been in the church, we'll say, no, we're not going to say that. Eight months. But you got the Holy Ghost. Been baptized, filled, repented. You got power and authority within you, son. And you pick up on this and you go, wow, that's the presbyter. That's the bishop. But I really feel this need to go over and pray with him. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the identity. You have all of that. Here's what happens. Do you know he'll laugh you right out of the church if you go over and pray with him? Who do you think you are? You've only been in the church for eight months. 
you think this Holy Ghost thing gives you the right to go over there? Do you know what he's... Are you kidding me? Really? Look at him. Look at those hairs. That's wisdom. He's got a lot of wisdom over there. He is. He's been all over the place. He's preached in the big... Who are you going to go over and try to go... You know what? You go over there and start praying. He'll, he'll pat you on the back, maybe on the head. Say thank you very much, but it doesn't mean anything. That's what happens. I'm telling you. Maybe not to that degree. But that, then, and, and so if you don't move, there goes identity for the day. What it is, is get thee behind me, Satan. I have the authority and the power and the permission of Almighty God to go pray with my brethren. Not presbyter, not, this is my brethren. And something in my spirit tells me he's just not doing well. And I don't have to go over there and try to figure it out for him. I just need to go put my arm around him. But so many times we get deterred from that. Because the enemy will talk to you and say, mm, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm -mm. Somebody over there, God's just telling you, you, you need to go over and pray with them. Nope, not doing it. They're going to laugh at me. Mm -mm. I've only been in the church. Kingdom identity. When we know who we are, when we know who we are, then we operate in power and authority. And that's what this world needs right now. That's what they need. They need apostolic power. They need to see that, not only in words, but in deeds. How we dress, what we teach, how we act, how we talk. That is kingdom identity. That is who we are. And we are that way because we are his. We die to self. It's all about him. It's all for his glory. The words of the Roman philosopher Gamil, who lived during Paul's time, still ring true today. As an outsider looking in, he understood the power, the power of the church. He said, if this is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. The church that God set in motion is unstoppable. The Jewish Sanhedrin couldn't stop it. The Roman Empire couldn't crush it. The fires of persecution couldn't consume it. And hell, with all its fury, is defenseless against it. This is the church. This is who we are. This is our identity. Amen? Let me close with this. I truly believe that we are appointed for this hour. We have come, right? We have come for a time such as this. And when we embrace our kingdom identity, let me tell you what you have. We have working within us the power of the Holy Ghost. We have a firm grasp of the truth that transforms lives.
We have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. By virtue of that name, we have authority over the works of darkness. We have the power to tear down strongholds, to assault powers and principalities, to declare the glory of God in our community. We have more power in prayer than we have ever realized. We just talked about, what, Bella and her heart? Okay, everybody out there can say, oh, well, that's what the doctors do. I'm sorry. I know what God does. He's the great physician. You can give me all that baloney, but mm, I don't think so. But we sat up here and we prayed. We prayed for that little girl. There's power in your prayers, church. From our knees and in our homes, we can change the spiritual atmosphere of our city. We can sway the course of governments, and we need that, and alter the direction of nations when we pray. Our God has said that if we pray, he will hear and heal our land. We possess that power and authority. It's ours to use because we have kingdom identity. Who am I? I am his. I am his. On the back of your worksheet, and I, I give you the disclaimer, I stole this from my wife. This, is, this was actually table one at the, at the prayer journey. If you ever question your identity, keep this in your Bible. Keep this in your Bible. Study it out. Pull some scriptures out. Memorize them. Because the enemy is always going to attack. But when you know the word, he can't touch you. Take this with you. Study it. Get to know it. Know parts of it. This is your identity right here. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? It's all right here in scripture. I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus, God help us. God, help us to be so rooted in our identity, in our kingdom identity. God, help us to walk in power and authority. God, help us to be compassionate, to use wisdom, to use tolerance when needed, to use understanding. God, help us be the vessels, God, that go out into this dark world and talk to those individuals that need truth, God, Help us to walk in that authority due to our identity in the, the, the grocery stores, at the gas stations, where we're, wherever we're at. Let us pray and witness for people. God, touch them. Let it all, all of this be for your glory. Because it's not about us. It's all about you. And we give you all the honor and all the glory, God. Use us in mighty ways to bring you glory, for this kingdom is yours, God. We thank you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.